welcome to this episode of Pensions Cast, our podcast where we discuss topical pension issues being faced by companies, pension trustees, and pension scheme members. I'm Raj Modi, and I'll be your host for this episode. I'm a partner at PwC, leading our pensions consultancy business globally, and I'm also lucky enough to work with a range of fascinating clients on their day-to-day pension issues. We're going to be talking about one of those today, and the subject will be what pension schemes do with their assets. There are two facets to that which we'll look to cover. One is where they put those assets and a growing trend actually to consolidate how they organize those assets with a single provider. And the second, which we think is linked, is whether they're changing the type of assets that they need anyway to deliver their pension obligations, the benefits that they need to pay members. And we're going to explore whether actually those two trends are part of uh, an overall trend that is fundamentally changing the way that the investment markets work. I am delighted to be joined today by two experts in the area in our virtual studio here. One is Kira Marie Ramnath, who oversees our uh, what's called our sort of fiduciary management function and how pension schemes go about outsourcing their assets. And the other is Sam Seedon, who is an investment portfolio expert. So welcome to you both. Let's dive straight in. Kira, I'm going to start with a question for you. So we position this as a trend that we've spotted, which is that increasingly pension schemes seem to be looking at the opportunity to consolidate all of their assets with one provider. Can you just explain that a bit more though? What's going on in the market uh, and why might this be happening? Very happy to Raj. And um, just to put this into context, you might say I am a bit eagle-eyed when it comes to the UK market. Um, And what I have seen is an industry that's grown from being around 2 billion of assets 15 years ago. So that would be in the mid 2000s to one, which is now over 200 billion. And I think there are two things which has been driving this growth in the market. So the first one is um, one which has impacted quite a number of small, medium sized pension scheme trustees. And that's in relation to schemes who use fiduciary management, having to retender their fiduciary um, arrangements. And that's been driven by regulatory intervention into the market. So the competitions and market authority investigation into the um, whole of the investment consulting market and the fiduciary management market. Um, And then on the other side of this, we've also seen a trend, um, which is that quite a number of larger pension schemes who have traditionally done a lot of their investing in-house considering whether there is merit in outsourcing some of those functions. Traditionally, we've thought about those schemes as being too big to outsource, but the challenge is, does this still hold true in a world where those schemes are de-risking and the type of assets that they need to hold are becoming more bond-like and liability-driven? So we'll definitely come back to the question of whether the type of assets is changing the way they operate. But let's just explore a bit more the decisions they're making around structure. You know, that's quite 
a, a change in market dynamics, as you said, for a market that was 2 billion 15 years ago to now be 100 times bigger, you really need the whole of the industry to be showing some directional trend uh, in order to see growth like that. So can we just unpick that a bit? Are we saying that this was relevant to small to medium sized schemes anyway, because of pressures around competition and best practice and so on? But it's also cracked the really large scheme market, because even though historically people may have said, why would they bother with a trend like this? They are actually moving in that direction as well. It's quite rare to have a trend where you are seeing it at the same time across all sizes of scheme from small to large. Is that a fair analysis? What do you think about that? Yeah, that, that is a fair analysis. Um, I think the benefits, though, of why the schemes look at it do differ depending on size. So traditionally, um, it has been a market that has been more attractive to the small and medium um, sized end. Um, and the reason for that is because the benefits there come from the consolidation trend, which you mentioned earlier. So the benefits of pooling assets, you get better economies of scale schemes don't get uh restricted by their size when they want to invest in some more uh let's call them fancy asset alternative asset classes um and you just get some operational efficiencies as well so whereas when you look at the larger end of the market i would say that those schemes have been traditionally very good at having the bargaining power with the market um, but the operational side and in particular the direction that regulation is taking those schemes in where operational costs only appear to be going up and up, um, I think there's real benefit there. The other thing as well with the large end of the market is we used to think of you know those schemes as being really large, but when you look at them and you extract away the assets which they might have secured with insurers, the reality is the assets held by those schemes are becoming quite small. So they are becoming more like medium sized schemes. And by medium sized there, I mean sort of around the one billion ish mark. Right, really interesting. So the, the point there, and this actually brings us neatly into the de-risking uh, topic we wanted to cover. But you, what you're really saying is even though schemes can appear large on the face of it, the residual assets that they really have left to to play with freely, if you like, and invest freely, we're becoming increasingly lower in terms of value. So that's the perfect time to bring Sam in. Sam, another trend that we've seen also over the last 15 years is the change in the types of assets that pension schemes need. Uh, that's arguably inevitable. They've got more and more pensioners. Pension schemes are now actually focused on paying out those benefits as they fall due every month instead of just investing for the very, very long term. So that's a shift change that may be catalyzing the earlier trend that Kira has already talked about. Talk us through that, if you will. How, how has that changed in terms of the type of assets which pension schemes need? How has that been affecting the overall attitude and approach that they take um, on how to structure their assets? That's right, Raj. Um, and to that point, LDI managers have been, or liability-driven investing managers, have been uh, gathering assets for over 15 years as well. Um, and as that's happened, as pension schemes have 
de-risk. So that's a relatively small cohort of organizations who manage fairly mundane portfolios for um, for schemes of, I mean, largely government bonds, um, sometimes derivatives as well. Um, so that's not really your sort of traditional it, what people might traditionally think of as investment, I suppose, where you might be trying to pick a company to outperform the index or make some call about um, macroeconomic issues like which way are interest rates go, or which way are interest rates or inflation going to go or which, which way is um, this market or that market going to go. Th these portfolios are much more about matching the pension payments that schemes have to make in the future. And so LDI managers started there um, and those portfolios have gradually grown and grown just because people have been de-risking. But, but at the same time, um, these managers have also been adding competencies to their sort of toolkit. Um, so things like uh, FX hedging as well. So hedging of currencies um, is, is a is a portfolio that most schemes will need and can often be done by the LDI manager. So they've tended to pick that up. So, I mean, sometimes also equity exposure can be gained in derivative form rather than buying the physical equity assets. Um, and so that's another competency that these managers have added. Um, I, I mean, and the, the sort of the final one that you've seen in the last few years is really putting alongside the government bond portfolios, so UK government bond portfolios, um, corporate bond portfolios, so corporate lending, um, and trying to manage, I guess, integrated portfolios of government bonds and corporate bonds, which if you look at sort of industry level aggregate statistics are up to maybe three quarters of the, uh, the assets that the schemes in the private sector hold. Um, so you get this effect where these managers are are managing assets that are just managing asset portfolios that are just growing and growing. Um, and I expect that to continue um, because schemes will keep de-risking, although de-risking has run a, a fairly good course already, um, but also because they're adding competencies and will continue to add competencies. That's really fascinating to understand that. So what you're saying is you had a segment of the market, a range of providers that started out with a fairly plain vanilla offering, but innovation um, or you know observing what the market demand was led them down a path where they expanded that capability. As you say, they might have just been dealing with government bonds, but then decided to branch out into corporate bonds or they might have been increasingly managing overseas currency risk or they might have looked into some of the more esoteric uh, asset exposures you can get out there like you mentioned derivatives and so on so just as those providers who were originally managing some quite plain vanilla portfolios started expanding the range of their capabilities that happens to come at a time when pension schemes are looking at well is there one place i can put all of my asset portfolio in and it just so happens that the pension scheme asset portfolio 
matches up quite well with that that range of expertise so this is exactly the point we wanted to unlock i think here or isn't it the idea of um was there a general trend anyway because of cost or efficiency or regulation for pension schemes to be looking at the the model if you like the construct of where they put their assets but was there a catalyst to do with the way that their portfolios shape up combined with the fact that providers are expanding their capability and suddenly everything comes together and you get this perfect match going back to your comments right at the start an industry that is uh, enlarged a hundred times over the last 15 years what else kira what you know what it sounds like a fascinating trend do you think this will continue have we seen the, the you know the, the the limit of innovation and regulation or what do, what more do you think is coming down the pipeline that pension schemes should be aware of we definitely haven't reached the limit of innovation in this market I think this is what is driving the market at the moment. Um, and what's really interesting is, you know, I expect there to be more providers in this market. And within those providers themselves, I expect there to be really interesting solution in terms of the end game stuff that Sam's spoken about. Um, what's really pleasing for me is how to actually invest pension scheme assets is now getting the attention it deserves and i'm really excited for what the next 15 years holds brilliant thank you and sam i do just want to bring you in on one more angle to this which is that we've talked about the range of providers of assets out there in the market there's another category of institutions that you can arguably say in one way or another end up providing the assets for pension schemes and they are the insurers and the consolidators every time a pension scheme makes a decision to buy in or buy out as, as we talk about it or you know potentially now new emerging trend move their assets into one of these consolidation vehicles that vehicle effectively becomes the asset manager so what should pension schemes be or even indeed insurers and consolidators be thinking about when they are constructing um, asset portfolios, if you've got that end game, that strategy in mind? Yeah, I think that's right, Raj. Um, the insurers will want fairly simple portfolios. Uh, and so it's up to the pension scheme to set their time horizon to give the portfolio to an insurer. And so they shouldn't, they shouldn't tie up the capital in their portfolio um, beyond the point where they want to give it to the insurer. So if they have no no objective to give it to an insurer at all, and they simply want to run off and pay the cash flows to the members themselves, then they might have very long-term locked up illiquid assets, like for example, infrastructure debt, so that the debt of infrastructure projects is, tends to be quite a long-term illiquid asset. Um, so you might not do that if you had an objective to give the assets to an insurer. However, if you still wanted, as the pension scheme, to access the, this illiquidity premium, but over a shorter period, because your objective was to give the scheme to an insurer in, say, five years, then you might, you might look at using shorter term alternative or illiquid assets to try and earn that premium over a shorter period of time, like things like collateralized loan obligations, um, asset-backed securities, which are slightly more esoteric assets, but generally a bit more short-term. Um, one interesting dynamic as well 
for both the insurers and the pension schemes is that the, the UK government is really trying to encourage investment in um, infrastructure, UK-based infrastructure projects and, and getting trying to get the pension schemes themselves, but also the insurers to invest in those assets. And so schemes have a decision to make. Um, the first order decision is, is about their time horizon to ultimate settlement with an insurance company. I'm sure that's a topic we could explore in much more depth. And in fact, it might merit a whole other episode to talk about the right pension scheme asset strategy if you're running up to an insurance event. But let's leave it at that for now. Thank you so much, Kira and Sam, for a really interesting discussion. And of course, thank you to everyone who's been listening. If you'd like to explore and understand this topic further, please feel free to visit our website, which is at pwc.co.uk forward slash pensions. Or, of course, get in touch with me or either of the speakers. Our contact details should be in the episode notes. Please also subscribe to keep up to date with future episodes. And we would love to hear your feedback, including on what topics you might like us to cover in future episodes. You've been listening to Pensions Cast with PLBC. Bye-bye for now.